Everything okay? We are live. Yes, Nick. Let's go ahead and put this together. Uh-huh. We're live already. We are live. We don't mess around. We don't mess around, my friend. That's fast. Live with the Arisan Salonic Nut. Arimat hashtag the link. Wise nuts. That's for you, sir. <coughs> all right, all right. <coughs> what great coffee, Armand. Oh, it's it's new. I just got it specially for you. <laughs> Thank you, baby. It's not coffee. It's Nespresso, remember? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't call it coffee. That's so what, what kind of cognac is it? <coughs> uh, that's, <laughs> it's one. actually an Armagnac. It's, fr- Armagnac. it's from France. We bring it from France. It's <laughs> a 37-year-old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So this this is, is how this show is going to go. Just yeah, like it's, 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 it's just <laughs> the best part about it. Exactly. Well, they say life is the best medicine. It is. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Menak Vaigjan, if you can talk into the mic so you can sound as... There you go. The closer you are... <laughs> other, you want otherwise... Otherwise... <laughs> can you... <laughs> I was messing with them. <laughs> they, our listeners always say, how come we can't hear the guest as well as you? Well, because we, we've learned over well, 53 episodes now to speak into the mic, <laughs> finally. <laughs> Trust, you should have seen the setup before the stand. We had, like, we had robotic arms everywhere. And, <laughs> and then Gurgen Kangnath said, flashlight up on it. Gurgen. Oh, gosh. Gurgen Nova. Uh, it was a, our uh, Arlen transmission, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our head technician. Uh, actually, he comes swimming every day. Does he? Yeah, I see him over there. That's awesome. Because C- you, I, I see you're at you're up at like five a.m. swimming every morning. Well, they open at five, so I try to be there before five, so I can be in the water five ten or so. Wow. Yeah, but the problem is that Saturday and Sundays they're opening at seven a.m. So my schedule is like. <coughs> Isn't it 24 hours? Hold on, which 24 do you go to? Uh, Supersport? The one on Brand, yes. Go to the one in Burbank. The Burbank is 24 24 hours. But I mean, I'm used to this pool. Yeah. Uh, But it's fun in the morning. That's that's early for me. That's very early for me. What time do you norm? What's what's your morning schedule? You know, before we start, uh, (laughs) (laughs) let's let's introduce our (laughs) guests, right? (laughs) Happy Monday, people. Yeah. (laughs) You are swimming. It's all the swimming, jacuzzi, gurgen. <laughs> by oh. the way, we have a guest. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got a gurgen story for you guys. By the way, I'll I'll mention that later. But today's special guest is Mister. You want us to go Vike or Vic? Well, it's my middle name is Vic, so it's Vahik Vic. Piramze. Piramze. Yeah. Yeah. Piramze. Because in America, everyone has this middle name. I mean, your name is Muhammad, and then there is Michael. And then there is, <laughs> yeah, there is Hakob, oh, then it becomes Jack. Jack. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Hakobs are Jack, the Williams are Bill, the, what else is there? The, the Arno's, Arno, stay Arno. Yeah, Arno, stay Arno. Yeah, Arno's some Williams say. I don't think uh, none of us have middle names. What are their names that some of them I have? A my name's William. You but have a uh, middle name? Do you? Yeah. I don't. I don't, yeah. In Armenia, it used to be, let's say, whatever your dad's name was, Ovich, right? That's my middle yeah. name. Oh, is it? It's oh. Vartanovic. Really? That's my, le- my, re- my legal name is Arno Vartanovic Akverdian. And it's on your driver's license? On everything. 
on my social, oh, on my passport, on everything. Well, now you see, we learned something. 53 episodes, Vike. Yeah, he doesn't know. And, we, and we learned something, something new every new. We, I've known him since he was born. I still didn't know <laughs> And he didn't know that. There you, you go. See? Now that you mentioned it, you know where Vic <coughs> came along? I used to work in a print shop years ago in South El Monte. And my boss, his name was Vahik, but they were calling him Wayne. <laughs> yeah. John Wayne. And then, and then there were other Hispanic Americans, you know, working there. And then uh, they would also learn that my name is Vahik, so they started also calling me Wayne. And then one day he goes like, no, no, he's not Wayne, he's Vic. Ah, Vahik, They're like, Vic. okay, Vic, Vic. They started calling me Vic, so that Vic stayed. And a fit. See, how do you I get I never Wayne? cared about the name. I, I care about who you are as a human being. Yeah. Of course. But, I mean, how, how did you get, how did they get Wayne from Vike? Um, he was an Iranian-Armenian that went to London, you know, oh. went to school from over there, probably. Yeah. You, know. you know Wayne Rooney? Yes. That, that same land, same yes. area. Interesting. Yeah. The Canadians have Wayne, too, I guess. Gretzky? The, the, the Gretzky. Yeah. Well, Americans have Wayne, Wayne, <coughs> Wayne Newton, Las Vegas. Well, my... Well, Glendale was John Wayne. John Wayne. Oh, yeah, there you go. My nephew who was... Uh, well, my cousin's son who was born about a week or so ago. His name is Reuben. Reuben was my uncle's name. My late uncle. Uh, Reuben Wayne Davtian. So his middle name is Wayne. Wayne. <coughs> Wayne. Interesting. All right, back to our guest. Yeah. Vike's going to be hosting the show tonight. Yeah, we're just okay. going yeah, to sit around and sip coffee and just listen to everything he has to say. Uh, Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for taking much, time out of your Monday to be with us. Um, let's let's jump. Way, I like what you guys do. Seriously. Oh, thanks. It's a good bro. start. I appreciate. It. Thanks. Well, I mean, we're fifty-three episodes deep, so let's see how how, how long it lasts. Our birthday is what November eleventh. Yeah. So, yes. uh, one year anniversary. Yeah, surprisingly, it actually lands on a Monday. So we'll have like cake and stuff, and you're welcome to join us. Oh, beautiful! Like. My birthday is November sixth, so ah. I'll bring my oh, cake. Man. I'll buy my cake. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's left of the cake. <laughs> it's only two weeks old. It's okay, guys. Melted candles on it and everything. Uh, Vike, we'll, we'll, we'll go with Vike right now, and then as we get comfortable, we'll probably go to Vic and then Wayne. And Vike then. is fine. So, <laughs> so you uh, born in Iran, moved to the states in '89. As far as acting, I mean, you said you worked at a print shop. So, I mean, where did acting come along? Did you always have a passion for it? Or where did it all begin? Was it like a childhood thing? Well, definitely. I guess um, um, acting is like painting, I guess. Someone has to have it in them in order to have that passion to start thinking about it. Because... You don't see kids, everyone grabs a pencil or pen and starts drawing, you know. Whoever has the passion, the first time you see them start doing something. Mm -hmm. So acting for me was, um, when I was, I liked drawing. And Mm -hmm. then when in school, in uh, middle school probably, I was uh, kind of a good one, you know, drawing and painting. So my art teacher told me (laughs) there is a play in school, and why don't you come and help me with the the decor with other kids, like we were a few of them. First time that I went on stage and started helping to paint this Set. Uh, vid- uh, yeah, village style. It was an Armenian play. So I turned back and looked at the empty auditorium, and I felt like I belong here somehow. I like to be here, you know. And then, and then when I started watching the plays when I was a child, I really, really liked that darkness and the light on stage and the people talking. 
So, and then TV, obviously. Back in Iran, there were this Armenian t uh, TV, I mean, American TV series and movies. Mm -hmm. And then when I watched those, I felt like I really, really liked acting. I like to do something that I'm not, <coughs> you know, because I was very shy. Um, and in acting, uh, I think what I love about acting is you can portray characters that you're not. So you find that freedom, you know, you do the research and you learn about that character and you try to dive into that character and become that character that you're in real life, you're not. Mm -hmm. So you live a life and then you can portray many characters. That gave me something fresh. Uh, from Iran, you know, when I left, I did a couple of plays in Farsi. Born in Iran, you know, we had this school, they called me, and then we went and rehearsed, and then we did a few plays. And then, you know, during revolution, I had to escape Iran. I went to, through Turkey, I went to Germany. In Germany, after two years, you know, uh, 89, finally I got here with the passion of acting, that what am I going to do, you know? This is the country. People come from Midwest or the city, <laughs> East. Hollywood, the city yeah. not only the country. Yes, exactly. The state, the city, Los Angeles, and then Hollywood. And even now, people say, uh, Vahik John, you know, congratulations, you're, you know, you're in Hollywood now. I'm like, <laughs> you made no, it. no, no, bro. I mean, I'm almost on Los Feliz <laughs> towards Western, but there's still <laughs> far I'm not in Hollywood. long way to go. But I never cared about the spotlight. I love the craft. There's a huge difference. You know, anybody asks me advice about acting, about their kids, I say, you have to find out what is it your kid likes. It's the spotlight or the craft. So the craft is something you learn and, and learn more and more and more and enjoy what you're doing because you're, you know, giving and giving. And then everybody loves, you know, when people say, hey, it's great. But if you do it for the spotlight, then spotlight is already looking for good actors. You know, you don't need to run and find the spotlight. You mm -hmm. do what you're good at, and then they will find you. So uh, the first thing that happened, Persians, after revolution, they came to America. Big, big actors, directors, writers, you know. So first couple of years, they thought they were going to go back. So what happened is they had this lavish lifestyle and everything, and then they realized, oh, they can't go back. They have to do something. So instead of doing movies, which was a very expensive hobby here, mm -hmm. they started doing stage plays. Mm. So therefore, they were looking for young actors. Uh, so I was lucky enough, you know, to be in one of those rehearsals that one of those great director, um, Iranian directors was directing. And through a very good friend of mine, which you guys know, Andy, the singer, oh, yeah, Andy was also a friend of uh, his daughter, you know, uh, so I talked to Andy. Andy was one of the first people who, you know, supported me in that direction. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, so, and then I went, and then, you know, they, they liked my acting, and then it just started. But I was also working, you know, I had to pay rent, so I was working at the print shop. <laughs> That's where <laughs> so the print shop weekends, comes on from. weekends I was going. But what happened with this Persian place, which I was lucky enough, we would travel a lot. Because Iranians, they live all over in the United States. So on weekend, we would, you know, um, have a performance here, and then we would fly to New York, and then from New York to Toronto, and then come back here. And then next weekend, we would go to Austin, Houston, Dallas, and then we would come back. And then the following week, we would go to um, Seattle, Vancouver, we would come back, you know. So I traveled a lot. So it was a traveling 
play basically because the play was good here and then other Iranians would see <coughs> it, you know, they were very interested mm. so because they, we had big actors and big directors mm -hmm. name from Iran so they would love to see them so we would travel so I did a lot of Iranian plays that's how it started wow so uh, plays was was what you originally started with it yeah. wasn't movies no plays and then you you began to write and direct and all that stuff your own <coughs> plays I did yeah I did plays first and then I got involved in TV. If you guys remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but uh, on Sundays, there was this Armenian um, TV program, and there was this Iranian TV program every Sunday. Mm -hmm. One hour that the whole Southern California could watch. That Iranian-Persian TV um, saw me acting on stage, so uh, they talked about a few people, and then one of these... Um, Iranian-Armenian writers, mm -hmm. uh, Zoya, by the name of Zoya, whose husband was Persian, director, very good director. We did a play together. Uh, they asked her to write a few sketches for TV. So the TV wanted me to play. So when I did that few sketches, they liked it, and then the TV asked me to produce my own. In that one-hour show, I had five minutes every week an episode to do for people all around. Persians. That's where I started writing because they asked me for something else. I said, I can write and produce too. So they asked me if you can do anything. I brought a project to them. They liked it. So I started writing and directing and also acting in front of camera, starting with TV. And then I started writing my own plays. Now, was, was the skit that you were doing, was it comedy or was it... It was a comedy about social life and stuff like that. Was what that I did the genie one, or that was no, after? no, no, no. Before that, before that, they asked me, "What is it you can do every week that people can sit in front of uh, TV and watch it?" The first time I gave them a twelve episode, each one ten minutes, which was a lot of minutes for one hour programming because back then five hundred dollar was for thirty second commercial, so. My idea was I created a program called uh, The Specialist. So what I did, I played 12 different characters. Every character had a business, like a real estate agent, <laughs> a loan officer, Oddly enough. a travel agent, you know, a psychologist. But he was a crook. He was the specialist. Every time he had a client. Were you trying to say something with that? Yes, because I was trying to let people know that it's you. You have to understand the business, the industry, how it works. They're not, they're not breaking the law because they were advertising, for example, as low as. So when you see something, travel, let's say, one of the episodes was the travel agent, like traveling from uh, L.A. to Tehran, only $299. So when the person would come to me, and then I would like, oh, definitely, yeah, it's ready. Your ticket is ready at $1299. And then uh, when I would print the ticket, it would be like five pages. And she would like, what is this? I'm like... Uh, this is it, your $290 ticket. You fly from Burbank to LAX. From LAX, you're going to go to New York. From New York, you're going to go there. And she was like, but my sister's wedding is in four nights, four days. I mean, how am I going to get there? I'm like, oh, four days? Hold on a second. We can get you there in four days. It's $800. Hmm. So you know what I mean? The as low as part. So the audience would see each businesses that they were you know, conducting. There is some hidden agenda that message your message the, that you as a client have to start learning the bait and switch basically exactly so after 12 episodes then they told me we want you to do something every week come up with an idea i'm like oh man nah, every week 
So it took me one week, two weeks, three, four weeks. They were like, when is it going to be ready? I'm like, I still, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Finally, I came up with an idea that I did 109 episodes. Wow. That's a lot of episodes. Like, you know who was my first sponsor from that 12 episodes? I have Persian attorney who has a lot of advertising here now. Yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. We, we need some airtime with you, Adidi, now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get him. We'll get him. But he was back then, he was paying for each episode just to mention brought to you by Adidi. Really? really? Yeah. Even he then, just became. Huh? He just became an Did attorney. Did he have that 7777 number that he had? The funny part is that the 12th episode that I did, I, I played an attorney. <laughs> and then he called me and said, Why, what's going on? I'm like, did you get calls? It's like a lot of them. I said, isn't that why you were paying? <laughs> Did you ask for more money? No. <laughs> He's a great, great guy, by the way. And then I did this 109 episode called Nika's Cafe. So I played a character who had a coffee shop, a daughter named Nika. And then he was divorced too. So he went through life, everything, being single, married, divorced. Mm. But he was a nice guy. He would get involved with customers, talking about their issue. At the end of five minutes... He would never, ever sell anything. So every episode at the end, he would help people, but he wouldn't be able to sell a coffee. So every week people would sit down <laughs> to see now what, what this time he will do to mess up his own business. <laughs> but, you know, I was not helping people. So that went 109. And then the genie came along. And the genie came. And then I did Richmond Comedy Club, yeah. another 100 episodes. Hold on, hold on. What's the genie? I did a TV movie called uh, Genie and Gino. So there was a genie in a bottle who came out, had a dog named Gino. <laughs> but this genie came out in a family that they already had issues and then had a babysitter and had a kid. But the genie that came out, he wasn't a genie per se. He, didn't, he failed being a genie. So, <laughs> but they didn't know. He couldn't grant any wishes. Yeah, no. Are you serious? Exactly. And, but oh my but God. the only the kid in the family knew about it. So the family, <laughs> each one, because all three of them, the babysitter, the father and mother, find him, and uh-huh. then they were like, "Oh, now you have to grant our wishes." I'm like, "No, no, no. There are three of them, and you're all three saw me. So each one has one." Mm. And then every time they would come and say, like, this is my wish, I would like, are you serious? Think about it. So you <laughs> would change he, their mind? Could, I, I would, but I would encourage them to do exactly what they wanted to do by themselves. So that at the end of the movie, each one of them really worked hard towards their wish, and they granted their own wish. So this was a movie? Yeah, TV movie. TV yeah. movie. Series. A series. Okay, and yeah. then is it, was it in Armenian? Or no, in Farsi. In Farsi. Yeah. Oh, man. See, I wish I knew Farsi, bro. Everything we're talking about is, is I did in Farsi. In Farsi. And wow. then in 2003, I created uh, a magazine show called uh, World Entertainment Connection, WE Connection. Yes. Yeah. That was in English. Yeah. And then the plays come. Oh, I did a lot. I mean, how long do we have? We have plenty of time. But you know what I'm trying to understand is because it sounds like, and from from the series that I watched years ago and then your recent plays over the last decade or so, all of your plays, your ideas have such an in-depth meaning behind it. How do you come up with these ideas in terms of, I mean, if you ask me to write a play, I, if my life depended on it, could, I couldn't even... Write one sentence. That's how, why how no one t- is asking you. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's you calling you. <laughs> no, I mean it's. Just it's keep doing what you're doing, bro. Don't change anything. <laughs> like how? How do you? Because to 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 for it to be funny and 
receptive and for people to be for you to be able to engage your audience for that many, that much time every week week in week out how how what's the thought process i think it? the first rule for myself is to be honest with yourself mm-hmm. and to be vulnerable and be able to go through the process of pain which means things that you might not like to talk about it but be able to talk about it so overcome that that whatever is really mm-hmm. bothering you. Okay. So uh, I'm mostly writing about fairness, being fair. You know, in life, um, things that happens, and it's injustice, you know, things that happens to people that you can't do anything, but at least you can talk about it or make them understand, you know, this is the truth. And sometimes, who are we to judge? So my job is not to judge people or, or whatever is happening or to send a message to them, it's to create something and play the character and let you look at it and absorb and identify. And each one in the audience might identify differently, but I'm sure something will happen. There would be something going on if I do it right, whether it's in comedy or drama. And I love the tragedy comedy because when it comes to tragedy, some people have a understanding of tragedy being like, oh my God, I'm dying, you know, this is tragedy. No. Tragedy is when the two parties, both of them are right. For example, an Armenian kid coming from Lebanon or or let's say Armenia or or Iran telling the father like, okay, dad, you don't understand what's going on in school. Why do you push me for this, doing this and that? And the father's like, you don't understand me. I sold everything, I sold my house, everything, to come mm. here so he can have a better life. <clears throat> and then the kid says, I was only four. I didn't make a decision. It was your decision. See, both of them are right. Yeah. They're both correct. Who do you blame? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I try to show. Mm. And then you look at it, and then you will realize. So in that, maybe comedy also comes out, because tragedy, they say, plus time equals comedy. There are things that might happen in life. It's very tragedy, uh, tragedy or it's drama. But when time goes by, you talk about it and you laugh. So now I have to find an angle to make it funny. But my funny was always not to try to make you laugh. Try to be the character who is who he is or the characters. And then you will see that person being funny. And mostly I'm more about being sarcastic or, or witty or clever you know, type of characters that they will talk about things like john though sorry no god do you use your personal feelings in characters you play self-made characters most definitely is that something you're thinking within yourself that you're not saying with the name vahig but definitely is that what i'm for example yeah for example like i created the character I've created so many characters that sometimes I don't remember about them. Which was your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I... Um, Come on. Probably the ones that it's it's more towards drama. It's oh. funny, yeah. But you you think I was going to say Uncle Raphael? <laughs> <laughs> no, Uncle Raphael. I, I love Uncle Raphael's um, courage about talking about things that I wouldn't talk. But you know what I wouldn't say. My yeah. surprise was what I saw from Rafael Kerr in 2008, still actual in reality today, 2019. That's See? where I was like, oh my God, this is still relevant today. Nothing changed. We were talking about the Armenian community, everything you said. 
nothing's changed. It's it's about life. That's what life is. And then it's see we as Armenians, what I realized back then is that we might come from different walks of life. You might come from Armenia. You come from let's say Beirut. You know someone from Iran like me. But here there was a fourth generation being raised, American Armenians. Yeah. And that's where the generation gap is. And next to generation gap, there is this cultural gap. You know what I mean? Yes, so you're the first generation. You always have that first generation is common in everybody. You can be Chinese, Japanese, Hispanic. There is the first generation. The second one we have is the cultural differences, which Hirenovas makes sovoroutune. So between yeah. sovoroutune and culture, adaptations. Adaptations. They're two different things. Like Armenians we would come to Burbank and then get an apartment with balcony, and next thing you know, there is barbecue going on. <laughs> right away. That's like that's like yeah, adaptation, you know, combined with culture through years Pushing becomes your own culture. culture, you know, like yeah. becomes you call it culture, but it's not. You know, in our culture there are different things going on. So Raphael talks about things that has to do with core issues that we have. When I say issues, again, could be culture, could be adaptation. The good could and be... the bad, though. Exactly. You balance things. You talk about things that it's out there. Now it's for you to see which direction you want to go. And Raphael says things that you have to listen to him towards the end of the sentence. You will understand probably what he's saying. You know? yes. And then what he says makes me laugh sometimes. And sometimes I get into that character so much that I cannot even handle him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't get enough. I watch it over and over. Even the old ones, it's just funny. Yeah, I, uh, but it's very tough to write for Raphael. Really? Yeah. I already have some ideas. Let me ask you this. How did you, how did you come up with the character Raphael? I mean, was it based on like a family member or somebody you knew or maybe somebody you saw in Iran that you kind of connected the dots and be like, okay, you know what? This is, this is who Raphael is. Well... As I mentioned, I did a lot of comedy sketches in, in Farsi. And uh, remember the um, Richmond Comedy Club mm -hmm. at KT? Um, KTA Productions. Yeah, yeah, KTA Productions with our Thomas, great guy. So we did about 70, 80 comedy sketches, and I played so many different characters, or I created so many different characters. One of the characters that I created, <clears throat> his name was Rafi, an Armenian-Iranian, mm -hmm. who would sp speak with a thick accent, Farsi. You know, okay, in, yeah. in that in those episodes. And then he had that hat and everything and, and, and he had but in Farsi. So that was back of my mind, like, you know, this is a great character. But honestly what happened is I wrote my first Armenian play, uh Mez Labutun Chiekel. The one yeah. that lots of Iranians back then they were coming through Austria to you know, immigrant to here. So I wrote that story. So this is who I am. I will write a story, finishing, read it, like it, have few people give me notes, people that I trust. And then I'm like casting and I want to start rehearsal, but I stop. I'm like, there's something wrong with this. This is not ready yet because I had issue with my character being a guy who had a wife and they, uh, they won a lottery for $7 million dollars. And then one of their cousins was coming to their house. And that cousin with wife and kids didn't want to leave their house. They were having fun, right, mm -hmm. for months and months. So my character was trying to let him know, like, 
you know, time. you have to keep the balance or, and then trying to say we can find your job and this and that. But he was like so cool and funny and this and that. So then I realized if my character starts asking him, oh, it's time for you to leave. And, you know, it gets to a point that it happens to every family. You do something good to someone at the end, you feel like you get into trouble, you say something, they get, you know, upset, and then suddenly the, the relationship is gone. gone. Yeah. I realized that maybe it shouldn't be me telling him. Maybe it should be someone very close to him see my situation and tell him, you idiot, you're get taking of advantage of this guy. These are good people. Yeah. That's when I realized in Armenians, uncle means a lot. Mm-hmm. Uncle is, you know, wise guy. Of course. Right? Yeah, the wise nuts. I mean, the <laughs> so I, th- I thought about what if this guy has an uncle that that uncle would tell him. And that's where all this started that, okay, if there is this uncle, but I had to put him in a very short scene. Then that scene had to be very good and strong. So then I thought about, okay, if I have this uncle, now I have to have uncle's background. So I wrote like 30, 40 pages of this character, oh who God. this is, and yeah. And then all the lines you see from Uncle is the character that he has, 40 pages. So when I performed that character, the audience went nuts for this character because for the first time probably they saw the truth and the honesty that someone will tell his own, you know, uh, family member, like, and in a funny way, like, you know what I mean? Coming from an old man who's limping and everything, <laughs> it's like he has nothing to lose, basically. He has the yeah, beads. His beads and, <laughs> and, and, the, and he's a street smart and everything. There's a part where Rafael Kelly goes, what is the difference if I'm out here or in jail? And I just started cracking up. <laughs> the government pays for me either way. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> and then when that was very successful, everybody told me, why don't you write about Uncle Rafael the play, the second one? Because I had already the second version of that. So then I, I, I created Uncle Raphael's family. Yeah. His son and daughter. And if you notice, his son was somebody that he had problem with. And his daughter, you know, was someone who had a rich boyfriend, wanted to get married and this and that. So that issue that everyone might have was also in his family. So I told him that, Raphael, you have to be also broken. You cannot be perfect. So my uncle Raphael was that character that came from us. You know, Everybody could relate to Uncle yeah. Raphael in you a know, sense. It's, it's so weird. When you're talking about these characters, I feel like these are real people that you personally know, which obviously you've created them, so you know them, but... It, it, oh, it seems so real to me. Well. That's, right? that's why I was asking. As I'm he's like, talking that's about That's the it. genius of yeah. it. Is the fact that we know he's Vaig, but we also know he's Rafa and Kelly. It's yeah. the same person. Now, my question that I, I had was, do you pertain to yourself? Is that your own thoughts in Rafa and Kelly with the political sides of it? or Some of them, yeah. Is that your Definitely. own thoughts or is that Rafa and Kelly's my, character? My, my psychologist told me so. <laughs> <laughs> my shrink. <laughs> my shrink said so. I, I made a joke. I said to my shrink, I said, <laughs> my shrink. I said when when my shrink. when my shrink find out that I'm using her for my writing, she got pissed off. Because this is the session. Oh, how are you doing? I'm good, good. There's this character. <laughs> no, but definitely because see, for example, I come from a family that I was the youngest. From six, four sisters, and we were two brothers, and I was the youngest. So my parents passed away about 
15, 17 years ago. So in Armenia, I gave an interview to Hamek TV, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the national TV. Han Rain. which they asked, it was about, you know, uh, Spurka High characters and artists that they would talk about their life. And then the first thing that I talked about was this, the opening about me being born in Christian family in capital of Iran, Tehran, in Muslim country, blah, blah. But the main thing that I wanted to say is that growing up in a family that you realize when you go to school and then you see your friend's mother who's younger than your mother when you come back home and you see your mom kind of old, you feel like there is something not right. This is what happens to you. And then you start growing up, you see your parents older than the other friend's parents. And then, and then when you start opening up, you talk to your parents like, what the heck, why did you bring me to this world, you know? You have issues. You start thinking about what's going on because, you know, been growing up as a teenager and then you feel like, hey, maybe they're like, this is, we loved you, we wanted, you know, to give you life. How, 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 how much is the difference, like, between your sisters and... Okay, you? my oldest sister had three sons before I was born. Oh, that's so a I was wow. Yeah, okay. I was an uncle before I was born. Holy <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> so that Uncle Raphael has a background. <laughs> Big backstory. Wow. In the previous life, he was an uncle. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but the interesting part is that I got nothing but love from my family. You know, yes. the main thing was that love part. My sisters, oh my God, they're angels. And then, so, uh, but we had this pastry shop in our neighborhood. And uh, probably I was like, we were like, not lower middle class, but close to middle class, maybe a little lower. But there were other friends that I had, they were, you know, lower than lower us. Than so imagine like pistachio is a very expensive yeah. hub, yes. you know, to buy. And, and back then, I would like from store i would like grab one big you know in my jacket handful of this and left and i was gonna exit the door and my dad was like why I'm like damn it like what <laughs> he would say up chutesa. you're not uh, gonna eat that alone sure so share so i would go to school and then i would put like a little bit for yeah. this friends this friends this friends this friends so that's how i was growing up you know with my family so sharing is very important and then our door was always open you know and the love I got from my sister and my nephews and the nieces that, you, of that uh, grew up. Yeah, we, I had good friends. And then I was basically were kind of a giver person, you know, we learned. And then you have this issue when you're growing up that you have to resolve about this age difference. You see what I'm saying? And then that's when the anxiety kicks in that you're different than the others. What age? This is when you're like 13, 14, yeah, when you got teenagers. So you're 13, your parents are in their 60s. Uh, 50s. 50s at least yeah. 50 yeah. or 50 60s yeah they're almost as old as your friend's grandparents let's yeah. say yeah yeah holy shit so and then you realize that wow my f- father that knows i love movies every friday which is sunday here let's say the day that no one works mm-hmm. in yeah. iran he would lock the pastry shop and take me to movies not one but twice two wow. two, two movies to watch. yeah two in a row that was our deal like and then when you grow up, you feel like, oh, my God, they have given me so much. You know, there are no, other did things. Did you look at it the other way? Yeah. Because and then your you dad start. was older, he put time into taking yeah, the movies. Exactly. So when you talk about Uncle Raphael character and stuff, maybe some of them comes from my, how I see my father. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, things like that, to be honest. So yeah. uh, anyone who creates characters, definitely there's something from there 
emotion and feelings and background. Personal. Personal, yeah, definitely. That's what I'm saying. You have to be honest to yourself. You can't create just Uncle Raphael to say things people laugh and you make money or you, you, know, you move forward. You create something that also Uncle Raphael also goes through pain. You know, there are things that he talks about. He's angry. He says things that he's not laughing. You're laughing. Yeah. But I feel like Raphael does not say much for a while, and that's why people still love talking about it. Yeah, I just let Do it go have, for a while. Yeah. But when the IRS knocks the door, Raphael opens it. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's never <laughs> open. <I'm not> open. <laughs> <laughs> I made that joke. All the time. Now, now, do you think, as whether it's as an actor or as a writer, um, is that something that you're able to learn throughout the years, or it's more of something you're born with and you just develop throughout time? No, no, no. The passion has to be there to start with. As I mentioned, like painting, you know, and, and drawing and as a kid. But you have to learn that there is no falling down. It's all experience. And when you look at it that way, nothing is masterpiece. You, I can't say which work mine is all oh, really good. I mean, I move on. I learn and I move on. And I look back. I look at my mistakes because every artist, true one, if I may call myself so, but... Every artist knows deep down that whatever he or she is doing, it can be improved, mm -hmm. but not in that one maybe, in another the next project, one, yeah. next one. So mine is like that. I mean, even Raphael got better and better to say what he wants to say, meaning maybe he would say something that would take in two, three lines or two sentences to say what he wants to say, but not in one sentence, very short, he can give you that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it gets more wiser. So as a writer, you feel that, that you need to experience things and, and then learn and move on. But uh, then with characters that I write for movies, is different. With movies, is oh, we didn't get there yet. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> Other yeah, question. Yeah, well, <laughs> keep going. Keep going. This is, no, it's perfect timing because in 2012, you wrote a movie for Uncle Raphael. Yeah, the reason I did that because I did three Uncle Raphael and over... 40,000 people attended to all three together combined. And these were plays? Plays, so yeah. So when you yes. jump from plays to an Uncle Raphael movie? Yeah, the movie. Because I had the understanding that this character, is, I have to push him to do another play. I didn't want to do that. So I wanted to take him to big screen, not in a big scale, in a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. but, but I didn't want it to be Armenian because this character... If you look at the movie, there is the transition from Raphael going to classes as ESL second language and learns <laughs> English. Mm -hmm. It's because I wanted to bring Raphael to another world of he speaks English too. Yes. Broken and this and that. But after that, the character, even for Armenians, could be for other generations that he will speak English. English. You can't just jump from one. The truth was that. Creating that movie, and then I knew that to write about the American families that I was going to write about, I had to find a partner who's a very good writer who would understand the other part of the family. And the idea that we're going to bounce of each other would be actually exactly what is going to go into the movie as an Armenian being an Armenian and American. And I got a very good writer who wrote 187 for Samuel L. Jackson and this and that, um, Scott Yegeman, you know. And then because I had to play Uncle Raphael and Hamo, the son, 
I had to lose weight. So swimming started from there. <laughs> <laughs> now he wakes up at five because of that. <laughs> so I got another director, American director, to direct it. So it got bigger and bigger and bigger in other American uh, because they got interested of seeing Raphael's DVDs and videos and the ticket sales and everything that there is this kind of you There's know follow, followers yeah. you know from this community, <clears throat> and believe it or not, uh, it really really was amazing. That dream that I had as an actor, meaning wanting to come to America, probably took me 20 years to do movie that I wanted to. But I did it. That makes me happy. Is that uh, it was a kind of a, we call it when we say Hollywood movie. Don't get it wrong. That it has to be studio movie. It can be independent movie. But it means you have union actors in it. Yes. It means all the actors are union. So that's mm -hmm. a Hollywood movie. So I had these union actors and everything. And then for the first time, you're suddenly going in front of someone speak English, a great actor, that is going to be on big screen. And you feel like, this is why I came to this country. <laughs> 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 We're not talking about financially if it's going to do good or not, but at least the achievement of, you know, this is part of my life, and I'm going to do it as much as I can and move on, you know. So Uncle Raphael movie came along. And Raphael was developed in that movie to be able to speak English and move on. Now, was this the first large movie that you actually directed, wrote, and produced? I produced, <coughs> co-wrote, and acted in it. I didn't direct it. I had uh, Mark Fusco, a great director, directing it because I thought... I did music videos before that. I directed TV and music videos and everything else. But as far as movie... Uh, that was the first one that I acted in and produced it and also um, co-write with Stad Yegeman. So you had somebody else that was non-Armenian direct a movie that had the Armenian culture in it. I mean, how did, how did he go upon... I mean, was, was, did you help him out at all as far as... Oh, um, I had people to sit down. We did research yeah. and talked about it. But keep in mind, if you watch the movie, see, this was my idea. As an Armenian or American Armenians here, we are a giver. We are a pleaser. We please people. We have like, we, we invite someone to paint our house. Before even they have their brush, you know, wet, we're like... Coffee. Uh, coffee or watermelon or, you know, <laughs> anything we can give them. <laughs> barbecue. Right? Barbecue stuff. <laughs> now imagine, Sacrificing a lamb. Imagine. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're painting one wall. <laughs> imagine if you're moving into a neighborhood and you have the American neighbor. You know how many times you're going to invite them, like, barbecue here, yeah. have this for your family, or come <laughs> over. They will come. Yeah. How many times are they going to invite you? None. See, my idea was, like, I want Raphael to be the person who's going to go into an American family, not, like, inviting them. Yeah. So that was the idea. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, you want to have a director who understands, who knows the American family. Yeah. And when you see what ideas you have to be in their house, yeah. he can direct it well. And with actors that they're really, really professional actors. Eric Roberts being one of them. Eric Roberts I brought, no, Eric Roberts I brought to, for a music video for Gugush. Gugush. That, that was, that was what it yeah, was. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I saw a picture with you and him. Yeah, I did. And I, I brought him to, um, uh, to be in Gugush's music He's video. He's very reserved compared to the rest of Hollywood, isn't he? Compared to he his He had sister. his ups and downs, yeah. <laughs> compared to his sister. Julia Roberts. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, uh, Angelique has a good question. She's asking if there's any future Armenian movie plans. Um, when you say Armenian movies, if it's, you mean in Armenian language, uh, there are a few things that I'm 
thinking about it. I'm not sure if I'll in, get involved, but um, um, movies that is in English, but about Armenians, again, there is a couple that were talking, and uh, again, I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not, because with movies, it's really, really difficult. You really have to, and then I learned after four movies, I learned that you have to spend your energy, time, and effort, and money wisely to know what kind of story you're going to pick up. So you want to have people as passionate as you are in whichever area they're going to work on a movie mm -hmm. to make it successful. Otherwise, you're just, you know, throwing a dart in dark. Yeah. So there was a, there, there is a movie that you have out. I haven't seen it yet, and I've actually, uh, you know, I think we should all take a look at this one. Three Weeks in Yerevan. Vaya Berberian, you and Hanan Tohatian are in it. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what, you, what that project was about? Oh, <laughs> well, Hanan <laughs> Tohatian, Vahe, and I, we go back a long time. Hanan and Vahe, they know each other longer than I know them. But I know Hanan over 12, 15 years, and Vahe Berberian also over 12, 15 years. And we always wanted to do something together and, and go on stage. We always talked about it. Mm -hmm. But Haran being busy in Armenia and going to Russia doing movies, Vahe with his tour every time. And I was busy with so many things, you know, producing this and that. Yeah. So we talked about it, talked about it, and then... But our idea was to do something that we never talk about where, I, where we come from, like as an Iranian-Armenian and, and, you know, uh, Hayastansi. Yeah, you don't three, it's three different cultures. Yeah, three different cultures, but we wanted to show the audience that we work together. That's the idea. So after a while, we came to this conclusion, the best thing is to make a movie because we can come together for a few months, make the project, and then go back to our work. So that's where this um, idea came from. And then uh, Vahe, see, like there are things that I do. Sometimes I write and direct and produce. Sometimes I direct but don't write and this and that. This project, Vahe had a script brought to me and we looked at it and I said it needs rewriting and he did with, with, with a co-writer, a friend, Norway, that they wrote it 12 years ago. So we went back and forth. We talked to her on that these are the characters. So Vahe said, would you produce it? Um, well, all three of us will star in it, all three of us. And then, but this is going to happen in Armenia. Just keep in mind, you're going to go there and stay there for four months and film it. It best part of it. The best part of it, yeah. <laughs> in summer. <laughs> so it was 2014, I guess, or 15. And then after going back with the rights and rewrites, and then Haran um, and I, we had to sit down and go through the dialogues and change the dialogues to the way we talk, you know. Um, it was Western Armenian, so we had to make it Eastern Armenian. A lot of detail went to it. And then a lot of scenes we had to condensed or cut or, or, you know, lines here and there. Because when it comes to directing, and then when we talk to Vaher, uh, we agreed that both of us will direct. So if you look at it, the credit is Vaher Berberian and Vahik. So directing part is very tough when you have two directors. But Vaher and I, since we go back and know each other very well, and we have so much respect for each other. Easy, yeah. yeah, and I love the guy very much, and he, I'm sure he does. You do, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, He's been here before. But yeah. it's not easy, like, going back and forth. So it's the communication and the understanding, you know. We had our differences and this and that, but we, we tr kind of divided the job and how we're going to handle it. You guys actually did make it work out. As a oh, box yeah. guy, high Stansi, and a Beidou Thai, yeah. actually we, made we, it work out. We, called a, we, we created a company called In It Together. 
So we're all in it together. So it's uh, the movies in Western Armenian. No, it's mix. Mix. Okay, so it's what you were saying. You mentioned something about uh, learning how to speak Western Armenian. What no, no, no. Translating. I said we we like when the script is written. Uh huh. wrote the script. And then Haran doesn't speak Western Armenian, oh. so the character has to speak Eastern Armenian. Yeah, I have to speak. So we had to go through our lines and fix change it, it to, to change that. it to our mm. to Interesting. our way. And then, uh, this is one of those movies that I produced, and also it went to Lemley Theaters here in America, you know? So as an international movie with English subtitles. Beautiful. That's and great. then we went to Beirut, and we did it in Arabic subtitle. It's also in French. So it's, it's kind of an international movie level that we're dealing with. And we went on tour, Vahe and I. Funny stories. If you ask why, you might <laughs> mention that. So, so I went to Beirut. To, we've heard a lot of Vahe yeah. stories. He hasn't told us this one, so now it's your turn. You can no, tell us. You can we, tell we, us no, no, no. We went like we went to tour as as far like to different you know countries and, uh-huh. and states and and with organizations or, or private parties that they were gonna screen the movie. Oh, so it was, it was more of like a screening sort of thing. Screenings we went to uh, Vahe and I, and then we had this Q and A at the end. Great. So oh, imagine nice. like yeah, oh like. Nothing prepared. You're just waiting to see what people are going to ask. And then they ask something, and then Vi and I pick it up, and then we improvise, <laughs> and then they're laughing. Yeah, they, they're enjoying, and it was really fun. I, I can imagine. Well. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with Mr. Berberian. But uh, a lot of people knew you as far as when you know, with the plays. You know, Vaik, Uncle Raphael, comedy, plays, this, that. But you've done drama as well. And you actually directed and wrote the movie... Uh, in 2000, and I, I believe it was 13, uh, The Guardian Angel. 14, yeah. 14. Guardian Angel, yeah. It's so a, that one is actually, it's a, it's a, dra- it's a drama or mm-hmm. like an action sort of... Thriller, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thriller, drama. I mean, what, what made you go from as far as... Or was it maybe just your inner self saying, you know what, I, w- I don't want to just be known as the comedy man or Uncle Raphael. Did you just jump in and say, you know what, I'm going to do something completely the opposite of what people know me as? First of all, I don't really care what they want to know me for, comedy or drama. You know, I love the craft, whether it's drama or comedy. But um, in lifetime, you want to experience things. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, working on Uncle Raphael movie, and then it's comedy, right? And then you go and do um, Guardian Angel, which is drama thriller. Um, just to get into that character and write about that and then try to form yourself, you know, go to training, you know, get ready with the body and action and this and that, and go through that by itself is a challenge. So as an artist, you want to, you know, I'm, I'm up for that challenge. And then something funny about that movie is that um, because of the budget, it's always about the budget. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you with Hollywood, it's a yeah, budget. It's Hollywood. Hollywood. And that's a union movie too. And I got very good actors. You so know, union very, as in like Screen Actors Guild, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. When you work with union, then there are, there are scales of like modified low budget, low budget. There are prices that you have. You, can, you, know, Wait, you get tell casting. me there's a rating of how low budget a movie is? No, 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 no. There is, there is a rating with union. For example, if you have a movie that the budget is 1.5 million, it's different than you have a movie that is nine million or seventeen million or twenty million. So there's a rank of um, micro low budget, which is independent movies. But there is for for union actors. For example, I'm SAG, right? Then if I go to an audition and they say our movie is a low budget, so the low budget union says daily rate for you is like six hundred ninety nine dollars. You know, that's the minimum. Minimum meaning if I'm doing a 
modified low-budget movie, which is to 1.3, George Clooney, if, as your friend or brother, wants to be in that movie, the daily rate minimum is like $400. So you have to pay that. The union says that's the minimum. He might ask for a million dollars, but that's the minimum. I so see. he can't do it for free because it's oh, union. You know what oh. I mean? And then there is so many things, how many hours they work, you know, you have to report. There's so much work going on. And then there is this, when you're selling your movie, all the rights and everything, and the, the, the producer's contract with the union and the, with the actors, and then you deal with agents, you deal with publicists, you deal with management, you deal with the attorney and union. So if you're doing a union movie, if you have a good actor, you're dealing with all of them. You know, it's very tough you're to spending, sign one contract. You're spending more time on paperwork. It's it is, and then you, that's why you get the best line <coughs> producer to mm -hmm. deal with that because then as a producer for that, I dealt with every actor's agent or manager or whatever just to go through the price, and then there's billing, like where the oh name is going to go man. and how big it's going to be. Is it going to be a single car? There's so much to do. So in that movie... Uh, because my character was getting into a fight, and then they told me that uh, these people that... And then with Union, for example, if you have action scene, then you have these stone characters. The stones are more expensive than some of the actors daily, that they're really trained to be there and yeah. fight. So you try to hire stones that they're actors to, to play, and then they wanted to bring... And then you bring a professional to teach you to choreograph the scene. Yeah. Although you're the director and you, you want to... You know, these fight scenes are different. And then you bring another person who looks at the fight and says, this is how I'm going to choreograph this. And then you know how to film it. So you can cut it in editing. It looks real. So you bring best people. This this Asian great guy came in, and, and he was really short, but he was, like, looking down and, like, going like this, and this, and this, and this. I'm like, okay. So I'm looking at all the angles. All the angles, like, camera here, camera here, camera here. And then, and then they said, and then I was doing training for that scene. They're like, we can get you a, a double. I'm like, what for? They're like, double for the scene. You get hit and this and that. I'm like, you know what? I'll do it. We don't have budget. <laughs> what did you I'll say? Be, I dare you. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And then the first day of the shoot of that action scene, and then they're like, okay, for the punch, they usually say it's about a few inches, you know, has to be away oh, from shit. the face. Now, I had this... You know, water hose or whatever I had in my hand, the metal one that came out, I had to, that's in trailer if you watch it. It has to go up next to the face, but has to go up like, and then the way we're filming it, it looks like you're hitting him. And then the guy says, you're going to turn to this way, but your hand has to go all the way up, all the way up that we can see this curve. When we started rehearsing, I said, Let's shoot the rehearsal <laughs> first. I don't know if this guy is going to really <laughs> But we did the rehearsal, and thank God everything went fine. But when I did that first time, I felt good. The second, third, you know, for the footage you have, when it was done the third time, cut, beautiful. I was up there still. I couldn't <laughs> move. I'm oh, like, shit. okay, this is like, okay, I need massage and stuff like that. It's very tough. Action scenes are very, very tough. Did so you get the double or? No, I did all my. You my got a chiropractor instead. He's, a, uh, he's <laughs> a modern day Armenian Jackie Chan. Yeah. Because of not having enough money. <laughs> no, but you want to experience that. So what I'm trying to say is that if you're doing even the drama, when you're getting into that challenge, you also want to be real. You don't want to bring someone else to fight for you and say, take the credit. You know, you just want to do it, whatever it is.
Now, so, when 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 the movie's said and done, for example, how do you determine whether it goes to the Americana or how many theaters? How how is that all determined? Is that again a budget issue or more of a how well it does and then how it expands? How does that work? Well, first of all, Hollywood makes movies for hundred sixty million dollar, and then it becomes a flop. Yeah. Seriously, there is no way you can tell till you finish the movie and cut it and recut it and have focus group and watch it to see what is it you have in your hands. But then again, because of experience with Uncle Raphael, you know, having booking company, other companies talk to theaters and, and, and they look at your business plan, they look at your marketing budget, they look at so many things that you're capable of market your movie because a studio... They know they're putting 30 million, 50 million for marketing, you know. Mm. As an independent small producer, you know, you can lie and say, this is how much I'm going to do. But at the end, the first day, they're going to know that if, if they're selling tickets or not. So whether you're Vahik Pirhamze or, 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 or whoever you are, Batman movie, the first weekend is the most important. Yeah, if you don't make it the first weekend, yeah. you're not, they're not going to keep it you for the second and third. And luckily, I was really, really thankful to my last movie. Tenny. Tenny. It went for three weeks. Wow. So Beautiful. that was a, yeah, that was a huge thing. Like that movie has nothing to do with the rest of the movies I've done. No, no. It's <laughs> that's a family, father and daughter. daughter yeah. Yeah. Right? And I think that's an, uh, it's a movie where not only the adults can watch, you could take your kids and it relates to an Armenian American kid growing up in an Armenian family. I think I take a lot of huge challenges because I like to take the challenge. I don't know what's going to happen, but I had a lot of support. I always, I'm so passionate about my projects that somehow I talk to people and those people see the passion. And if they have that connection, they come on board and they support. And it's very important. Whoever you are, you need support when you're doing movies because it's any kind of business in the world you can imagine from engineer to designer to makeup artist to, to law firm to accountant to carpenter, everything is in movie because movie is life. Everything, a production designer, if you see a door there, everything, they make it. Every business, it's in the movie. Mm. So if you understand that and then you try to have people that they understand the same thing, that how much work it takes for each second of that movie to put it together so they're passionate and then you do it right. Um, when it comes to do a movie like Tenny that has with the family and everything, just like Uncle Raphael, they say, I don't know, but it was the first Armenian, first Hollywood American movie with Armenian lead character in it, you know, in comedy. Because mm -hmm. Uncle Raphael was the main character. Mm -hmm. In comedy, that was the first movie. And I remember back then, 2008, nine. Armenians would go with their kids to the theater and you, uh, there are evidence of sold-out shows and people lining up with their kids for the first time kind of sitting together and having popcorn and watching yeah. a movie that the character is Armenian, you know. The, we have other people that they have made movies, maybe a little less or more, but that one was kind of, it really blew up because it, it, it made a huge deal in so many different theaters, different states too. And then... When you come to Tenny again, I had this in my mind that when I see things that I feel about it and then no one talks about it, that's when it starts working your mind. 
I have friends, you know, they're married, they have kids. I saw their kids growing up and this and that. From outside, you see the differences, what's going on in parents and the, the gap generation and whatever it is. And the culture or, or a kid, for example, comes home, doesn't talk, just goes to the room. But if dad wants to say something, talks about, I don't know, a basketball player, and then the kid responds. So their bond is that basketball player yeah. maybe or the hockey player mm -hmm. or sports or something, you know. Or the mother talks to the kid about something, dance or whatever. So to me, it was like, this is very thin line. It can be thicker. It, it can be, you know, more, more solid. So um, then I'm like, if I'm in that situation, how am I going to handle it? So no one talks about these teenagers because I love the young generation. I always think they're the voice. You have to, if you don't understand them, how do you have expectation of them to become leaders? Yeah. How can you have them to be communicated, to be understandable, to, to, to move forward if you don't give them the chance of them talking? It's time to listen, but sometimes we do. Before they finish the sentence, we're saying something as parents, right? Mm -hmm. So my idea was, how can I bring that angle of an Armenian-American teenager that has a life in this city, which we've been in this city average 30 years, mm -hmm. 25 to 30 people, 40, 45, 50 people, 15. So I averaged it. A lot of teenagers. We have 45% of five high schools only in Glendale, Armenians. That's over 4,500 teenagers. Easily. Easily, just from these five high schools. Mm -hmm. And then we have middle schools, which they're gonna, going to high school. Nice. And then how many already left high school? You see, there are so many. The percentage is high. But no one talks about it. And then you wanted to do it in English in their understanding, in their language. It doesn't matter you're Armenian. The way you speak, if it's the English, your language, you understand Armenian. But when you're together, it doesn't matter where you're from. You speak English together, the kids, right? So, and then as a parent, we always throw this Armenian you know, dialogues and stuff. We're trying to push them to talk. My idea was like, hey, what if it's not only us looking at us? What if there are also others looking at us? If you want to look at it as a life, a family, if you want to tell a story, be true to yourself. Show it the way it is. Show the comedy, show the drama, show the tragedy, show the problem. But put it together as best as you can. That's when I decided to write this story about father-daughter relationship. And as easy as it sounds, everybody thinking about it was like, Mike, are you serious? Are you writing about father daughter I and mean, what is the tagline i mean what is it about you know and i'm like it's about a father who wants to be a best friend to the the girl which in reality the girl needs a father not a friend yeah she has a lot of friends so that's the line that's what i'm trying to show so as an armenian the comedy part comes that as an armenian we're pleaser right we bring the neighbor and give barbecue imagine for your kids like Okay, you're going to school. You're not going to school. It's not A. If you get an A, I'll get you best car ever. <laughs> it's all tangibles. Yeah. We're all about tangibles. Whatever you can see and touch. I'm more about whatever you can see and feel. So I'm like, well, how can I bring this father that I think is about not seeing and feeling, translate him from tangibles to non-tangibles? Yeah. So I started with comedy, the tangibles, and then I turned the father into understanding the daughter more. But he has to go through some levels of vulnerability and, and, and pain to be honest with himself what's going on. Doesn't he get the honesty from the daughter when she says you're the problem? Well, the, everybody says you're the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, 
Now, the, my challenge was like, I want to film it in Glendale. Yeah, Hoover High. <laughs> and I want to film it in a real high school. Now, imagine you can go to a high school and film it. Even if you go get permits from L.A. permit and the school and the district and everything, it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And then you need police department and you need fire department because kids are under age, age in the school. So if you're filming there, that's like budget we're talking about huge. a lot, huge. And then you want to also film it in the city of Glendale, which is a very expensive city. So then I go and sit down with the mayor, and then I go sit down with the Glendale Unified District. And luckily, after a few meetings and everything, I got support from the city. And then I got support, a lot of support from Glendale Unified District. <clears throat> Little did I know, they did their homework, they looked at my files, as me, what I've done in the city, all those Uncle Raphael plays that I've done, it was in Wilson and Roosevelt School. I have done more than hundreds. <laughs> I rented those places more than hundred yeah, times. Yeah. They had a big file of wow. how, how, many, how much I've been doing this. So it was very, very... You're a well-paying customer. Very, but, but, but they did support me. They read the script. And then I went to the Hoover High School. And then I talked to Dr. Earl, the principal. And I said, this is the school I want to film. I'm talking to them. Would you please read the script? I just want to know if it's a good script. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it because you're the principal. You understand, kids. She read it. She said, this is good. I like it. I'm like, would you play the principal? <laughs> oh, really? shoot, really? Wow. She is the real principal of Hoover High School playing That's the principal. Great. Oh, wow. And then I got her support who got the Hoover band, a marching band to be in a movie. Wow. That's like all the... That's a lot. Uh, and then... Four days filming in school, that's hella work. And then I got the city of Glendale with the permits to help me. I shot in 28 different locations. The lady says, like, no one has shot in Glendale 28 locations for one project. I'm like, <laughs> I'm the one. Wow. And then it came to a scene that there is a police, uh, there's a DUI test on the street. And I want to pick Brand Boulevard. And they're like, is there no. anywhere else you want to do it? I'm like, no, it has to be real. And then they're like, okay. And then I'm like, I need the real car, the police car. We went back and forth. They're like, we'll give you the car. <laughs> and I said, I need the, the Glendale PD to play the character. <laughs> They're like, on, listen, buddy, you're, you're pushing me. <laughs> but, I, but I reasoned with them. I said, seriously, this character is real. This family lives in Glendale on Allen Avenue. You see the sign in Glendale. The kid goes to school, Hoover High School. The principal is real. Do you think the father on street driving, the police will stop them, and then the police officer comes out, is an actor with some logos that I shouldn't film? It has to be real. It has to be the Glendale PD, you know, doing yeah, this. The city is part of the story. Yeah, and the city is part of the story. Seriously, good one. And then they said, okay, but we have to talk to all the people, police Sheriff officers, see which, yeah. who would be available and who. Who would want to do it? Just imagine as a small movie, independent, we're having this two-page agreement for the police officer to sign it that you're going to be in front of camera and, yeah. all, you know, everything. Of course, liability. And then liability. And then this great guy, this great officer said, okay, and he came and he played. So this is what I'm talking about. If you're true to yourself and you're passionate about your project and if you can show it and share it and be real... They will understand, and they will support. And this is what happened with this little movie. I have a little movie with all the 25 years' experience that I have done with others. Using in this one, 
with no name, no actors. All these kids are playing, are the, I would say, first time in front of camera. Oh, wow. Yeah. Even the daughter? Even the daughter, Even yeah. The daughter, wow. yeah. She did really well for first so time. When, when so, and they did great. When you say you had to have the actual Glendale police officer be in the movie, they they were unwilling to rent, for not rent, or just lend you one of their uniforms? Or what, what was the no, challenge? No, no, it's, the it's a no, real but officer. But, but no, but the uniform is more important because at the same time, uh, every city of obviously have rules, you know, mm-hmm. and, and with the city of Glendale, there's a lot of uh, studios filming in Glendale. And as you know, they're so big, they're going to make this city hall for themselves and then bring actors and uniforms, whatever, and they know how to film it in their, in their ways. But mine is very simple. I have one camera, and I have to film it in a different angle, and I want to show the car. I want to show the officer and mm-hmm. everything. But it has to be Glendale PD. It has to be in city of Glendale on Brand Boulevard. If someone is stopping you, I mean, it must be Glendale PD, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Like there, there was this one movie that was shot where it was based out of Glendale, for example, and it said Glendale High School, and uh, they mentioned Armenians. And, and, but when they shot the scene of the school... It wasn't really Glendale High School. It was the Zach Morris's high school, the same one. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, a lot of people told me, "Oh my God, why I watched the movie and I went to that high school." Yeah, see, they had memories of the class and the the hallways yeah. so and see, stuff. The connection he makes, like yeah, I, if, when I watch it, I'm not going to say if when I watch it, I'm a Hoover alumni. I'm going to watch that movie. I'm going to see Hoover. I'm going to be like, "Holy crap!" You know, I went there. Whereas the other movie, it's like Glendale High School. I've been to Glendale High School's campus. That's not Glendale High School. Right. So See, right, that's what right, I'm saying. right off the bat, there's a disconnection. Disconnect, yeah. But with his movie, there is a connection. Now when you see Glendale PD, Brand Boulevard, all that stuff. DUI check. <clears throat> that's yeah, very Yeah, all that. Everything is kind of like home. Yeah. Might not be to somebody who's not from Glendale. But, you know, when you... All the streets. Well, yeah, even, even if I, any movie I watch, if the movie takes place in L.A., I pay attention to the streets. Everything, yeah. If the scenery doesn't look like it's in L.A., then it just you, you don't relate yeah, to like it as you, much. Oh, one great movie was Rush Hour. Mm-hmm. Rush Hour was based in L.A. You see Chinatown and all that stuff. You're like, oh, wow, that's... This is here. Uh, I've been it's there. here. I've Hollywood been there. Boulevard, I've walked man. there. Yeah, everything. A lot of the scenes on Hollywood Boulevard. Do you know how a lot of people get them, like... An hour around one block, it takes you an hour because the f- movie they're making, you can't get around. So the you have block. to give credit for Rush Hour to an Armenian producer, yes. Arthur, yes. Sarkisian, Arthur Sarkisian, who made sure they film it in mm. Chinatown and, and Hollywood. See another. Exactly. So it's an Armenian thing, man. It has to be here. It has yeah, to we're be like, here. it must be. Exactly. <laughs> He's a talented man too. But now, my, let me ask you one one question. You wanted to do acting. You wanted to be in Hollywood as far as an actor. But now you're. You've gone towards writing and directing. What was originally the passion? Is it was it the acting, or was it more of like behind the scenes and directing and writing? No, it was acting. But um, during that print shop work that I had job, uh, I went to acting classes. This is twenty five six years ago with a great teacher, and I realized that all the classmates I had were attorneys or doctors or very you know, people who could afford, because it was very expensive for me back then. And then I realized that me with the accent and broken English and and have all this passion, the teacher is asking me to do scenes. And then slowly I started that it's all about the industry. First, you have to understand. 
it was kind of a disappointment because back then, 25, 30 years ago, Russians were the bad guys, for example, you yeah. know, till it, the table turned into, you know, dark hair, dark skin, Taliban. you know. <laughs> yeah, all those came. So for me, because I was all about the craft, I never cared about the spotlight. So I felt like, okay, they're telling a story, and that story, they want me to play this little part, which whether I come in, get killed or not, whatever, and then I come out and then I tell everyone I'm doing a movie, I'm in Hollywood, didn't satisfy me because I didn't know the whole story, whether I'm for it or not. I wasn't going to be part of something that I don't believe in. Maybe it's something not good. Everybody else would do it as a job, as an actor. I don't. I never cared. So I started when I went on stage and working, and then I started feeling like, oh, I have this idea about this culture and this, this society or whatever it is. Uh, I write about this, which is only a few minutes, but it's my voice. I'm going to say this story. So then I start realizing that it's, it's, I feel better to tell my own story, and I can be supportive of others to help them to tell their story or be part of their story if I believe in or I understand. You know what I mean? There are so many people that I help them behind the scene. No one knows. They, they told their stories. Mm -hmm. I never cared about to have that title here and there. But when it came um, about movies, uh, the writing and the directing and the producing started when you feel like if you let others do the job, what you think needs to be done, and they're not capable of doing it, somehow you want to get involved and do it yourself. So your Armenian came out again. Oh, Armenian always comes out here. It doesn't matter where I was born. That no one. one can get it done if you don't get it done. <laughs> no, because, see, for example, if you go to school, let's say you go to UCLA, film school, right? So they give you opportunity. Okay, camera for you is 50% off. This light is here. Then you have a friend who's in writing department. You have a friend who's in directing. Get together, make a short film, right? Yeah. They're coming together based on an analogy of this is available, this is available, this is available. Now let's get together and do something nice. One out of 100 will do something nice. The other 99, they're doing it, hoping like partnership. The other one will do the same. Contribute, contribute the same. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like two Armenians opening a flower shop and each one is waiting. The other one at 6 a.m. will go to market and buy flower. And next day you wake up and no flower is not flowers. there. You know? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. So you really have to understand what is it you want. If you want to be a director and you have a vision of a storytelling and you can feel this is who you are, you really have to find a good producer to partner up. You know what I mean? If you're a good producer, you know you're good to go out there, put things together. You have to find a talented director to work with. You know, that's what I'm saying. In my time, it wasn't easy to find. You the know, resources yeah. weren't resources, the same. Yeah, because I wasn't going to UCLA. I didn't have that money or whatever to Or the studio set up. Uh, the anything. connections. I mean, the connections are the biggest thing. You created those connections. I created for myself, and then I kind of opened probably some doors for others to see someone like me who had nothing, came to this country and worked hard and gave up a lot to do what I love to do might be something for them to, to continue in a right way to understand the industry, and then move forward. And my advice was always like that. For example, one of the things that came out of this Tenny movie, believe it or not, lots of teenagers, they felt like, oh, my God, I can see someone like me on big screen. I can be that person. Yeah. They never saw that. They yeah. never saw that. You know what I mean? 
that is possible too. So it's all about possibilities that we have to create. Like in fashion business, you never think like, as an Armenian, if, if one day there is a blue jeans that is a little darker with white lines on the side, it might be nice. <laughs> you One day you wake up, you see it exists, and then you see everyone is wearing it, and then you're going to wear it. Because a fashion designer thought about it and tried it and, and focus grouped it, and whatever it did, they gave to the market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People, they say, oh, what's your writing? Is it something you're writing because what people want? I said, no. I write what I want. People not... It's not that people know what they want. They have to see different differences. You have to, you know, give them something and then let them choose. But you bring everything so close that people didn't see when it was in front of them. So Yeah, exactly. And at the end of my plays, I always say to the audience, I thank them that they came. I really appreciate that they came. But at the end, I always said that. And anyone who's watching this program and, and attended to my play knows that I'm telling the truth is that I say, if you have, um, if you have the time and, and the finance to go watch other plays or, or other concerts or whatever as an Armenian for the culture, please do so. Because I'm here because of you and you're there because of me. We need each other. We're connected. Yeah. And you have to watch all of them. I remember you saying yeah, that. Yeah? So this is my yeah. analogy. And then some people say, Oh, I did a show, and then there were like 300 seats empty. I mean, they didn't show up. They get upset. I'm like, then what about the other 200 who came? I never look at the empty seats. I look at the ones that is full because I'm doing it for them. I don't know who these people are that they didn't show up, but I know who these people are who are here. They're your supporters, yeah. They're the ones that came in to support you. Absolutely. You were going to say something, Arm. Oh, no, I was going to ask... we had a question earlier, and he brought it up again. Not so politely this time. When I see, I'll, <laughs> oh God. I'll, I'll bring it to your attention. But they want to know where can they watch these movies? Because obviously, some of the movies were from years ago, and Tenya, I don't think, is in theaters anymore. Tenya's not in theaters. So, so but where can they watch all the movies? We're working with a couple of um, companies. <coughs> Hopefully soon, there would be a release on demand, and they will see it. Um, with the other movies, uh, again, three weeks in year one, we're working with a couple of uh, companies that one of them, Amazon, hopefully mm-hmm. early next year, it will be online. Uh, Uncle Raphael is on Amazon and everywhere else. They can watch it and rent it. And the Guardian Angel also, we have a deal with the company doing the foreign sales and now soon we'll know about it. With movies, it's not easy. Um, uh, but sometimes we always have the private link for people that we always say for your eyes only if mm-hmm. there's a company or, or a friend or anyone that we want them to watch it. Uh, but it takes time. And then the industry changed very, very fast. You know, it, it, you had companies that they would look for your product to show or sell or sales agents. Now you run now, after them? No, it's not that you run after them. You're too small for them. Mm-hmm. Like Netflix... Up to a year and a half, two years ago, they would look at your movie. They might purchase your movie worldwide. Whoever you are, they would look at you. Now, they don't because they have bigger competitions. So, they're spending their money on original, yeah. uh, original material concept series, concepts. Yeah. And then, they're, they're, they're not even looking at you. Bigger concepts. And then, and then the, uh, the Universal is coming. The Disney Plus is coming. You know, all those... They're like creating new content. And then if you have a movie which is two years, three years, four years old, they're not going to look at you. It's getting really tough. But luckily, 
because of like, for example, you were talking about going to movie theaters, mm -hmm. having the Uncle Raphael's record for the theater, Americana and this. So that's one way that the same producers produce this movie, Tenny and this and that. So the company, when they watch the trailer, first is the trailer. If you don't, they see the trailer and then they will watch the movie. And then they see your business plan and marketing plan and everything. So then we were lucky enough to go to, um, a, uh, whatchamacallit, the Americana Pacific Theaters and then uh, Sherman Oaks Galleria, Arclight Cinema. For me, mm. it was like That's huge a big deal, big yeah, deal of Arclight. Arclight yeah. And then, believe it or not, the AMC Burbank Mall, they mm. connected with us that we want to show it. Yeah, the eight. We want to show it here too because they saw this. So we were wise enough. <laughs> Not to give it to them because you want to bring everyone into one theater so you have an average per screen that week. Uh, and what happened... Secret, is, secret. No, because Uncle Raphael was number three that year in all the 17 theaters, average per screen. Because there are two box offices every Monday that comes out online, and that's the, the record. One is the box office for that weekend gross amount, which is Batman or Superman or whatever movie that made 5 million, 10 million, this and that. Then there is another record that they say, box office, they say the movie per screen average. The per screen average is you have your movie in five theaters, 25 theaters, 500 theaters, doesn't matter. They look at your gross, then they divide it into mm -hmm. how many theaters you have. And then they give the record one, two, three. Wow. Tenny on September 27th, Monday, was number one in America per average. Nice. <laughs> wow. Because that, that's it, it more... It was like 14000 some dollar for each That's more screen, accurate. It's like... Which yeah, the yeah. other movies made from 8000 low. So, that's, so really good. that's the record we have, like, per screen average, September like, 27th is 10 So what does it take? At what point does a movie go from being in a local three theaters to being in every theater? At what point? Well, does that I mean, you have if you have money, marketing money, you can put behind it and go into more theaters. They will welcome you. But if you don't have that, the good thing is about going into theater and then having that record and everything. Now you have you're opening a door to the sales agents and companies to look at your movie to see is this something uh, mainstream. For example, Lemley Theater wouldn't take our movie. Because it's a mainstream movie. It's not an art house movie. No. You see what I'm saying? So a mainstream is good if you make a mainstream. You can go on demand or everything. It's not a joke to be on on demand if that <laughs> happens. But luckily we have these people that now they're talking to us just because they saw the trailer. They saw uh, the genre of the movie, a teenage family. You know what I mean? That's yeah, of very the important. Hard, the hard the, the choice to make i mean everyone can relate that's to, that's going to be your secret there it's very hard when you're making a movie that it's very simple life story yeah it, there has to be there has to be something as far as in the storyline the plot where it actually touches the family's heart relatable that's the number one thing and relatable. i have to give credit in writing because i wrote the story and the characters but i brought my cousin my second cousin was born here, went to school here, and he's a very smart kid and does some writing. So I brought him on board after I wrote like 40 pages and everything because I wanted him to look at the teenage teenager lines and mm -hmm. everything. And he was like, oh, uncle, it's very good, very good. But uh, this, she wouldn't say it exactly like this. 
And I'm like, what if you come on board and work with me and then get the co-writing credit? Yeah. Which he didn't care, but he wanted to do something and he got excited. And then that's what I'm saying. And then this is the producer part of me thinking like, hey, it's not about getting credit as a writer. You want to make the movie better. So you better bring someone on board who would help the movie to be better because script is everything. Of you course. bank everything. He did a great job with the with the dialogues and everything with kids and being sarcastic and this and that. So when they when the principal read the script or the kids read the script with some of the teachers I give, they're like, right on with this teenage dialogues. <laughs> yeah. So do the actors have any uh, like flexibility as to maybe improvising some of the script or it's verbatim they have to say it as is? <clears throat> uh, are you talking about this Tenny movie? or Overall. 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 Like if you write a script, let's say I'm the actor, but I come in, I'm like, well, I think if I say it, if I change this word to this, it would be more suitable to my character. Or is it set in stone? Okay, as a, as a director, all directors are different. Me, I'm always looking at how the actor is understanding the character. Because if they do understand the character well, they will bring something even bigger to the table mm -hmm. that you don't even feel like it can happen. And then I give them the freedom to, to expand and then show me what they can yeah. bring in. But when it comes to this teenage movie, this little movie, um, they're looking at it. They're like 17 years old kids. They're playing this, right? So when they're looking at this story and everything, it's exciting for them. You know, it's high school. Yeah. It's this drama and this and that. But what I did is like at least four to six weeks prior, it took me three, four months to cast. And then I went through rehearsal with them. When I say rehearsal, it wasn't about going through line by line. It was about giving them tasks to do. Go watch some interviews. Go mm -hmm. watch some movies. Come back and tell me what do you think about this. What do you, for them to understand the depth of each character and then the, the, how big of a deal this story is all together. It's not about their character, but they had to understand, oh, it's about this father and this, and then there's this connected, so they can be part of the big picture. Right. When you have them being part of the big picture, then they deliver it. And then one of the biggest tasks was telling them, don't try to act. Just try to understand what you're saying. Because some actors make that mistake and they, they overact. Yeah. Overacting is not about you know, exaggerating things in front of camera. That's one problem. The second one is that in your mind, you're trying to raise your voice or say it a bit louder you know what i mean you're trying Not to natural. trying too hard but that's because you don't understand exactly what you're trying to say you're trying to portray something but if you do understand it will be natural that's why a kid can lie to your face without you knowing it <laughs> it's natural, it's natural. <laughs> when they no look acting at you. school nothing <laughs> who, who didn't flush the toilet they both look at you i, said, yeah, I didn't so do it uh, i didn't I was, do it i was having my ice i didn't cream. do it uh, yeah. <laughs> they'll just go at it i didn't do it i didn't do it at the end i just go okay it was me that's it <laughs> you take the blame so you take the blame for it <laughs> we have a couple of comments here Vajja. we have yeah. one from ray mirza begin saying uh, proud of ivagjan amazing accomplishments brother Oh, thanks. Um, and Eileen saying, it was a great movie. Congratulations again, Vaik Jan. You are a talented person. When you're quiet, we know you're cooking up something. So, and that we, true? And, <laughs> and we know you're cooking up a few things. One was about all this entertainment travels you've been working on over the last, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, it's been a few months now. 
but yeah i work with um svh travel uh, we created svh events which is uh, when entertainment and travel meet so i bring all the talents and artists armenians or american armenians or from armenia together and then uh, we find uh, whether we go on cruise or we go to Mexico, different hotels, mm-hmm. and we try to create an event so all the Armenians can come together and enjoy not only the food, drink, dance, and the event, but most importantly, to spend time together along with the artists. Yeah. Because if you go to a concert or a play, you might see me and, and like me and pay for it and enjoy it. And at the end, I'll come on stage, say something. I'll go home. You go home. That's it. Or so is the, you know, the singer does, you know, when you go to concert. But this event is spending time together because you will see your favorite talent or artist that you paid to come enjoy that vacation, mini vacation, that that person will also come and sit and have dinner and, and go to the pool and you have chance to mingle and talk. That is what we're trying to do. And, and so far, it really worked very well because people deserve to get that attention that they're asking, saying hi, or they want to take picture. And the artists truly understand how important it is to be close to their people. Yeah. And that is what I really like about this. And I, I was going to ask you, SVH wasn't into this. It's a recent thing. And I applaud them for doing it. Oh, they've been around for... No, they've been around mm-hmm. for a while, but this type of uh, mixing the arts with the travels, this well, has been something new from them. Yeah, they they always thought about it. They were doing... Few, and they've always supported so many artists, you know, for sponsorship yeah. and this and that. That's for sure. Um, not this year. Last year, they did one show with... Um, they went to Cancun with them show guys, my yeah. friends and everyone. They did one. And then after that, because I was working with another travel agent for many years, after we, you know, uh, we separated, so uh, there were few people that they wanted to work with me. I picked them. They picked me. We had a few months back and forth to understand each other. And then Vahik, SVH owner, who's been in business for many, many years, has two sons, one of them, Edwin, who's uh, finished marketing and he's in Pepperdine University. So just answered my question, basically. Yeah. No, he, uh, and then uh, this is the new generation. When I met him and the father, the, the first generation, and yeah. this, I felt so good that, that Knight's a very good team because the father is the backbone of the investment and, and the cultural understanding and, and the business and operation. And the kid is right in the middle. He, he runs the business. He made it so such a wonderful business for them you know they have specialists for everyone if any travel you're doing and everything and then he understands marketing so for me to talk about talents and artists because each artist has a different taste and and the way i deal with them and contract and sign and everything their expectations and everything so you want a partner that they would understand it's not an easy thing yeah but then again it's not one small thing you do it and go home because they're part of our life you know, they're like, it, there's one singer you might work with now, and it's not like you want to just let go and do another singer. And then because that's this person is also here forever, you know, they're working. So you have to keep the relationship and you have to be honest. So the pure honesty and understanding and the positive energy between um, SVH and me is there. And then this is exactly what we deal with the artist. We bring them, we talk to them when I do it, and then. I exactly, you know, want them to understand what the 
plan is going to be as an event. And that's why this artist, for example, Razmik Amyan for Mother's Day, you know, in a crew, suddenly, like, he's out there and singing with the people out there, you know, while they're having dinner. And they're, I'm like, where did this come from? Yeah. But he not went over the board. He's not he in the contract. Huh? Yeah, he, he went over the board. He enjoyed it, like, you know, or, or this is what I'm saying, because we're human beings. We don't want to hide anything. And he's it, not pressured. I mean, I look at singers yes, exactly. when they're at a wedding and they're trying to leave a wedding. There's about 40 women with cameras trying to take a picture. I don't think they enjoy that. But when they're spending four or five days in a resort setting and they have nowhere else to go, See, they want to mingle with the crowd. They yeah. want to mingle. But, but the, the, the point being is that sometimes I also talk to our clients. Like, you want to also, both parties to understand that they're there, but also they have Limited. their own lives, right? You know, yeah. like they're going to have their space privacy and yeah. space. And then whenever you think it's right, you can have that because they're human beings. So if you bring them together, that's how they learn. Otherwise, it's just thinking. Uh, otherwise, they see the artist in the pool. They're running to hug him while they're half naked. And you, know, you got <laughs> things happen. Some barriers. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I think at that at one point, it's kind of like, all right. I'm here for seven days. Yeah. I'm going to see this guy <laughs> a lot. So I think the the kind of starstruck level, if you would call it, would kind of die fade, down a little fade bit, fade, fade, fade out a little bit because you're like, okay, you know what? I have seven days to take one photo with this yeah. person and kind of interact and hang out and you know enjoy um, the resort at the same time. So like if it was like a couple hours, yeah, everybody, it would be chaotic. Yeah. And he and yeah. you see that they're eating from the same buffet you're eating from. Yeah, because for some reason people <laughs> think celebrities eat something different. Or their they, water is different. Their water is different. They think that right. They, uh, do you do you guys people, eat? Some? <laughs> people, yeah. but the best part with Armenians is this: when you're in a cruise ship or, or, or in a hotel in Mexico somewhere, regardless if it's paid for or not. Yeah. For example, if you go to cruise, you have to purchase the drink. Yeah, but I'll if go, you go yeah. to hotel all inclusive, you don't pay. you don't pay. Even places that you don't pay, you feel like they're like one shot together. <laughs> like, you know, they're asking you to drink, <laughs> uh, which is like I always move forward. I'm like, why one? Let's do two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let me buy you a free so, shot. Uh, <laughs> it's so it's what I love about it. It's not about buying or not buying it's the idea of like asking to join yeah yeah it's a cultural thing yeah. it's it's kind of like you know what we break bread together we drink together it's kind of like everything there's, right. a, there's a connection there's a and connection then it's made. so funny when they say like like drink and you're like for example you had like 17 of them with others and you're like uh, maybe later they're like they're going like this this much <laughs> it's coming lower like not even this much it's like all right, fine. <laughs> basically, you're you're basically like plastered by the time you're done with the whole trip. It's not only drink. I mean, it's drink, but it can be coffee. It could be Armenian coffee. They're like twenty, you know. I, I or I have this, <laughs> you know. I baked, I baked this Armenian whatever. It's so good. You have to taste it. Or like, okay, let's take. There's a lot of food here, but we're gonna also eat this too. Yeah, it's hard to say. No. It's 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 good. You can't get you're away from. You had an all inclusive resort in Cancun and. Armenian guy pulls up a barbecue like we're Boston, eating of us today. <laughs> we have eighteen thousand dishes and no, we're having these barbecues different. But sometimes that's the beauty of it because yeah, exactly. Because we do that shit. Yeah, <laughs> because because we do that, yeah. and, and it's a reminder of who we are. At the same time, Raphael had something twelve years ago or fifteen yes. years ago. I said about the mountains of Glen the lights. <laughs> 
We don't turn them on. Ain't nobody got it. <laughs> it's us. Yeah. The one who does barbecue and the one who's in becoming a senator. It's it's all yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That yeah. we shouldn't forget. So it's we're connected. We do even I was um uh at a Greek concert, what was it like four three, four weeks ago. Mm. It was at a th- like a theater setting in Pasadena, which I had been to again for a different artist last year. And last year they served alcohol and food. So but the food was crappy. We were like but it's it, it's enough. You just get finger foods just so you're drinking till two, three AM, so you're okay. This year we went with my friend and his wife, and uh, I said, you know, dinner's not great there, as you remember. Let's eat something, but we'll go there. We'll order some fries and stuff just to have as a maza with the yeah. drinks. We go there this time, same place. They're not serving anything. At all? At all. Only alcohol. Good thing you ate, buddy. Well, yeah, but it's it's 9 o'clock. You're there till 2, 3 a.m. You, you still need something, you know. Anyways... It's, there were a lot of Armenians too, but primarily, obviously, Greek people. What do, what do I end up doing? Um, I asked the girl, I said, can we bring any outside food? She goes, no, you, you're not allowed to. I said, okay, fine. It's dark. I ordered Postmates P.F. Chang's. So <laughs> <laughs> the guy delivers it right in front of the uh, main Wait, door. Just- I walk out, I pick up the bags. I sneak inside and <laughs> that was probably the best Chinese you know, food I've ever had. Because it's, right? like it's, <laughs> it's like dark, that. you can't even see the damn food. We're holding up like flashlights with the phones. My and my parents were with us too. Actually, they they love Greek <laughs> concerts too. So the six of us, we have our phone flashlights, we're eating P.F. Chang's. In the dark. <laughs> in the dark uh, and enjoying Greek music. Sometimes the smallest things yeah. give you the best experience it's, that you remember maybe 20 years down the line. When it happened, you really don't have a memory of it. You didn't think how great it was. Yeah. You visit 15 years later and just keeps playing in your mind. Yes, that exactly. same scene, you know? We all have a scene. That's music Everybody. and it's fun when you're talking about food. But imagine it's a play. Yeah. It's dark and their stage is lit and actors are talking and it's live. And I'm going back and forth. There is a scene. I'm like, I have a monologue going back and forth. And then I noticed this lady... Has a handful of pistachios. (laughs) (laughs) Opening and very delicately, like trying to eat, not to make noise. Slow motion. What do you do at that point? No, I'll take my hat off that he could (laughs) pull that off. Yeah, no, she could enjoy the play and at the same time. (laughs) But you know what? I I see there is always, I always say, for example, you're driving on freeway, then someone is like, cutting you off and then you're like first thing comes in mind finger comes up or you're yelling yeah i say there is only one reason that guy wanted to hurt you doing that there are probably nine to ten eleven other reasons that a maybe he didn't see you two you know the kid is in school they called he had to go and this and that and he had to turn in front of so many things i don't judge that person i feel maybe for example, this person maybe has a blood pressure or, or, or sugar or something that has to eat some whatever within two hours, two hours sitting there. Maybe, you know, they have chocolate they're eating. Or, takes takes or, out or some you gold ball bullets. <laughs> but, uh, but, but because it's one person among like yeah. 500 or 800, then obviously. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you bring out that pistachio in your <laughs> well sometimes you want to have some uh, on stage and just you know pass around and say <laughs> i think the worst one is the cell phone 
Uh, I don't think there's an excuse for that one. What yeah, cell phone is. I think there, there is, there should never, there, your cell phone should be either off. I don't even think vibrate because now vibrate is <laughs> as loud as loud, the damn ringtone. Yeah. Oh, I have yeah. a story about the cell phone too. Again, you might have an emergency and you have to have your phone on and you want to be there, but it's like 50-50. You, you turn it <laughs> off, but on. But anyway, maybe one in 500 people has to do it. But again, you're playing and you're going back and forth and there is monologue, dialogue, so many things going on. It's very hectic. It gets to a point, the climax of the story and this and that. And then suddenly there is this sound of like... <laughs> and you still keep going, but it's playing there. Right? It's, the, it's the ringtone. And this couple can't find the phone. <laughs> And it's going on. The wife's digging through her purse. Yeah, it's like, uh, and you're, they're looking at each other. It's kind of mad. The rest of the people are turning back. Now the whole half of the audience are trying to find their phone. And we have to continue acting. Wow. Do you ever stop? Have you ever stopped and made an ass out of someone? Like, just to make an example. Uh, no, but I did... I, I did kind of sometimes break the wall... I feel for like example, uh, like just like me. that. <laughs> no, it, it, it happens a few times, for example, if I'm like acting and acting and talking and talking, and then there is this phone ringing for the second time. <laughs> Suddenly, once I turn back and I said, maybe it's important, just answer it. <laughs> and everybody laughed and I continued. As Raphael No, 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 no. no. Oh, okay. Uh, Raphael As homo. <laughs> uh, but then again, in sometimes you have this, you know, first row, second row. Yeah. So obviously, ticket prices, if it's yeah. numbered, there's a difference, uh-huh. you know, if it's, you know, first, first come, come, first yeah. serve, it's the same. But when you have the most expensive, let's say, or you have guests, but sometimes people really want to pay to sit in right <coughs> in the front. And I respect them. They're paying, they're coming mm-hmm. and sitting. But Armenians, because it's in Armenia, right? And then they're sitting. And, um, well, mostly ladies are more comfortable. They came to enjoy also, but the husbands are like sitting like this. Oh, and, uh, Yeah, and then... Basically looking at you like, okay, make me laugh. <laughs> they already it closed themselves. <laughs> Every single one of them is like this, bro. Especially what I do, what I do is like, I act. I will go back and forth or whatever the line is, and then at some point, because I look at the audience, and then at some point, I will look at that person into his eyes and say something like, for example, like, look at her, like for example, if it's in my dialogue. But I will directly look at that person and say that line so he would be like he doesn't know like if it's me looking at him or it was the part the second time around when i turn back and for example i say like should i call for example if it's the line like should i make that phone call i would look at that person and say should i make that phone call and then now he feels like it is him He's that I'm part looking of at. Him. Yeah, and then he starts opening up. He's <laughs> <laughs> like sitting a different day like... I'm, okay. I'm in the cast uh, now. And then, no, because, <laughs> because I understand those characters. And then he becomes more relaxed and then he keeps laughing and laughing because some of us are like that. I mean, with my experience being on stage so many times, I've seen it all. And I always try to give the best, everything I have, everything to the audience. Yeah. How do you, but how are you able to pay attention to the audience? I mean, I would think you're so just focused on the role that 
you can't even just the lines really, man it's see all right whenever i did that it was the character basically because for me i have semi dyslexia whatever you call it uh-huh. in reading i kind of jump the lines and then <clears throat> you know i my you mind speeds you know move forward and then find something and the funny story once to tell you how i know i have that is that <laughs> years ago i was driving at night on glenox boulevard and then i saw there's building and they're putting this sign that says movies and then they're putting pastries and i'm thinking like great idea it's a pastry shop maybe with a movie <laughs> next day i drove back it was moffs's pastry <laughs> <laughs> but my mind was reading movie, it movies with that speed yeah. so anyway what i learned from being Good young thing you didn't drive into moffs as well well that someone else did <laughs> <laughs> three others <have>. <laughs> so when it when it comes to script and the character again i have to understand i'm not looking at the line and, and, and memorizing the line. I have to understand the character that I'm saying it. So I become the character. So what happens is, before going on stage, I don't remember lines. I know if you say something, my character will answer you. When I leave the stage, again, I don't remember anything. Oh, wow. So if I'm doing something, it's not me doing it. It's the character has the right to do it. Like otherwise, for example, Raphael wouldn't do that. You know, Raphael's character wouldn't, mm. unless Raphael is talking straight to the audience, doing a stand-up, he will. But if he's in a play, he won't. So it depends what character. But for example, if I was doing a um, part, a scene that my character is very reserved and, and quiet and stuff, obviously I wouldn't ever say anything. Reach out to the crowd at all. No. So you're like, full full focus as far as character mode when you're up there. There is no... There is no Vike. There is... Yeah, Vike's gone. Are, uh, are you paying attention to the... No, Vike's part of his act. Don't there, forget. When, no, he's, when he's Rafael Kelly, Vike is mentioned a few times. What do you mean? No, what he's saying no, is no, no, like no, as, as, as a character, Vike is not on stage. It's like it's, if Heno it's, character. Yeah, if it's Heno, it's Heno. That's it. It's, yeah. Uh, but... Are you also paying attention as a director writer to the other actors, or at that point it's kind of if they mess up, then you know? No, that again, because for example, if I wrote the play, which mostly I did, um, working with the actors, I know the capability of which actor that I brought on board and they're doing it, their part. But at the same time, I know for fact, as life goes on, as time if there is a measurement for time, if you do the play tonight, whatever you do, you kill yourself next following night, it cannot be the same. Although you're playing your character and everything, but the energy and the time and yeah. everything is changed. The breathing, everything <coughs> changes because it's live. So knowing that, I kind of teach myself not to, because I used to be like that. I was worried about others as a yeah. director, you know, mm-hmm. trying... And then not giving myself room to grow as an actor just to be aware of everybody says the right thing. But the experience of being on stage more and more and more gives you the, for me, to understand if anything goes wrong, my character can fix it. Yeah. And it happened a few times, you know, and... Uh, 
And what happens is, but the, the problem is, if something goes wrong, the other actors turn back and look at you <laughs> because <laughs> Shit, what are that's we when now? you feel like, okay, why are they looking at me? I'm like, and then it's like, oh, okay, I'm the director. Oh. <laughs> They're supposed to look at me. <laughs> uh, uh, but it happened a lot. And that's what I love about life because you never know what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, you can't cut, edit. It's, it is what it Nothing. is. Yeah, I think that's it's why plays are much harder <coughs> than movies, man. That, that's, a, that's very true. Argument. And a lot, of, a lot of even Hollywood actors seem to, after being in Hollywood for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, go back to New York Stand, and uh, yeah. go back on Broadway. Bec and, and from the interviews they give, it's, it's more about... Enjoying well, this is Yeah, this is true acting because... We're living in the moment. There's no cut. There's no let's redo this. And and I've noticed. I mean, even with your plays uh, at Roosevelt or Wilson, wherever you would do it at, I remember laughing through the play. And then there's been parts of it where I've cried through the play, and that 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 was really got me into it because I was like, wow, I can laugh at laugh at it and be able to get so emotional, emotional. about it, and. I noticed a lot of people around me were very, and that that to me is very difficult to do. It's almost impossible to yeah, do. It's a harder feeling to like, get out of people. <coughs> My last play, uh, Money Needed, in English, Porapet, yeah. that happens in the stage is the church inside of the church. Mm -hmm. um, there are four actors, um, three guys, one woman, the character. When I wrote the play, the play was three guys. Mm -hmm. The female character wasn't there. That later on, played by Anaida Vanessian, who did a very good job, <coughs> I added that later on before going on stage. Again, I wrote it. I knew there's something wrong. I can't finish this. So I have to have this female character. That's a 90... I'm very, I'm, one of the things that it's not like I love what I did, or I, but some of them I'm proud of what I did. So that play being one of them, that I had people for 90 minutes, really 90 minutes, they were laughing. The last 90 seconds, 99% were touched and crying. Mm. Mm. That mm. is what I call a good <coughs> ending. Yeah. Because you build everything, and then suddenly you're like grabbing their neck, and they can't breathe because they see the truth, or they see something that... <coughs> They can identify. Sucks the air out of them in the last second. Yeah, they get goosebumps and then, yeah, then... That's exactly what it is. It's like you think this is where it's going and all of a sudden it takes a turn and then you're pleasantly shocked. And it's like a dead end for you. You're yeah. like, holy crap. And that was very tough play to write <clears throat> because, again, it's a challenge. Like you do something that it's funny, funny, everything going on, but it's very real because... This character of mine in, in the church was a painter trying to restore this old painting, mm -hmm. and the church is under remodeling. What was challenging is that you, there is no way you can make people laugh with any tricks because there is no eating. There can't be any eating, church. like in church. You cannot even chew gum. You cannot drink. You can't even sit and cross your legs because I'm respecting the church, for yeah. example, you know, the, the mm -hmm. religion, whatever church, wherever, whichever <coughs> church you go to. Those are the things you don't do, exactly. right? So, therefore, in your comedy that you might have a house family, which I already done those, there's a birthday, they bring a cake, someone might fall down or someone might say something and eat and then the way they're eating. There's so many things in life can make you laugh. Although they're not trying to make you laugh, but the character, the way he talks or eats, 
can make presentation mm -hmm. right but in church there's nothing you can work with basically you you're working with your real character which mine was being under pressure of the family and the the money that he needed to save the family and the issues he had with his health and everything that we start realizing later <clears throat> but the anger that he had the anger I turned the anger and utilized the anger and I brought the part of him that made people laugh. That the way he was angry would make you laugh. The way that he would tell the truth with anger would make you laugh because it was funny. You know what I mean? Of because course. no one would say it. Now we had <laughs> other characters that they came into the church and the dialogues and the what's going on. There is a plan that something is going on and he's listening or not listening. And then the female character comes in and then the dialogue between female and him going on about life and everything else. So it builds up, builds up, builds up. Ideas starts, you know, seeing you and your character and everything. And it was a fast-paced play, you know, lots of dialogue. And then at the end, when it comes together to the climax, you feel like, oh, my God, everything he was talking about, this is this is... Real. This is real. Yeah. And then people start, you know, feeling it. Um, it's all about, first thing that I said, you said about acting, I said, and writing, I said, to be true to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Be vulnerable, you know. Go through the pain, but give it all you can and, and don't fake it. Yeah. Leave it all out there, basically, when you're doing it. My last question to you is this. Do you still get butterflies when you're filming or on stage? Definitely. Every time, huh? I think if you don't have that, then you're a robot. Yeah. You're, you're not interested anymore. Maybe. No, that, that last uh, inhale and exhale before I go on stage is, is the line that kind of cuts between me and the character entering to his world. But there is always very, like, unmanageable. Um, um, you don't see that line of... You as Vahik holding on to that character. That you don't see, but it has to be there. Mm -hmm. so Otherwise, the you're going to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. So you won't be controlled. Yeah. So that it has to be there. Otherwise, you won't be able to carry on. Mm. Wow. Anything else you guys want to chime in on before we call it a night? Oh, we talked for 90 minutes? Or I talked two for hours, actually. Minutes. Two hours, yeah. <laughs> two hours. Two hours. <laughs> Imagine if Rafael Kerry was here. It would be nah. even <laughs> maybe four hours with Rafael Kerry here. <laughs> Rafael... We should Can start a little <laughs> early. We should do an interview with Rafael. <laughs> Can you see what his schedule is like maybe next Can year, twenty twenty? Rafael might come on board on your anniversary or something. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I have an idea. Oh my god, that would be fun. Well, hilarious. I said I was the last question, but let me ask you this before <laughs> That's not the last I, it's not because <laughs> are, are there people as far as maybe I, I'd say maybe the older ones that think Rafael is an actual person? Oh, you know how many people came, saw the play twice and three times that they didn't know that Raphael is Vahik, Pirhamze, Vahik is Raphael. And once in the, in the audience, some person came out and says, please say it's you, because when I play both characters, sometimes they see that Raphael doesn't come on stage because I come on stage at the oh, end. Oh, and they're like, where is Raphael? Or sometimes, for example, Raphael, <laughs> I don't him? come, they feel like, okay, Vahik. Yeah, it happens, but um... I'm not surprised there, like because my <clears throat> my dad uh, years ago used to tell me a story when I was a kid how in Iran 
when they would go to the movies, a lot of the older, like our grandma's age yeah. folks, wouldn't know if it's a movie or not. Even though they're sitting at the cinema, they don't understand what a movie is. So he was telling me a story of a dinosaur, a uh, Godzilla movie they were watching. and This is the Iran story? Yeah, and one of the old ladies turns around while the Godzilla's running and you know, kind of like tries to hide. And they're like, why are you hiding? It's, it's a movie. She's like, yeah, I know it's a movie, but the animal Coming doesn't know it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it, it, that's true. They don't understand oh, the difference. One of the, <laughs> one of the things I had with Uncle Raphael, the bound that I have with Uncle Raphael, I never broke it, is that whenever I become the character, even if I'm there for hours, anybody talks to me, talks to Uncle Raphael. Yeah. Meaning? Meaning, once he's in. For example, I went to the uh, last time I did Raphael was uh, I went to um, the uh, fundraising for Armenia last year. Uh Teleton. Teleton. They asked me to do a a few minutes in those old, uh, you know, what's going on. So when I went there, I said, "Give me the time and everything because I need to get ready." But when I got ready, and then they walked me to the backstage which is live right it's live going on yeah. a lot of things going on so i got there it took about 15 16 minutes till i go on so everybody was there they were like talking to me i was talking and Raphael was talking to them and that's very it takes so much energy when uh, you're just doing that I mean, I don't get involved. I let Raphael handle it. But I know, but <laughs> I, that was crazy to me. Yeah, but, That's I, know, crazy. but I know he gets tired. Yeah. You know? And then sometimes on stage, especially live... you feel live, like he gets tired? Yeah, because, because his physique being on one leg and, and, and you mm. know, limping and stuff. Once I remember on stage live doing stand-up for f- lots of people, I know somehow it's end of the act and I have to go but some people said something like comments and Raphael grabs it and keeps talking to them and, and everybody's enjoying and Improv. in my mind I'm like damn it finish it let's go but he's not coming <laughs> Raphael Karim, let's go buddy. Wow. that's when I felt like okay you have to go away for a while and then we'll talk because yeah. this you're, is taking, a little you're too taking over my life yeah. See, wow. like the way you're you're talking about it, you're you're literally saying, you're talking as if Raphael is an actual person. He is. Like he this is, is how he is. felt. This is what he was doing, and I, like you're telling me, stop. It's like, damn. It's because like, I look at him as another person because he has things that he says I would never say. Yeah, <laughs> that's. It's like having a character that grows you some balls. That's the way I would look at it. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. That's the way it is. That's like, crazy. When you're in Rafael Kerry mode, you're a different person. You actually express yourself to the fullest. Yeah. But he never... Uh, there are things that I would say he wouldn't say. Hmm. Hmm. See, that's what he meant. Yeah. We definitely have to have an interview yeah. with Rafael Kerry. 2020 with Rafael Kerry. <laughs> no. Yeah, let's make it happen. I think it's November 11 with Rafael Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I think we talked for two hours. <laughs> Last, leave, anything, guys. anything, guys, want to add before no, we call no. it a night? I, I mean, I'm, I, I loved and respected you as an actor, director, writer, but now and producer. But now I've, I've gotten to know you on a different level, even though I've known you for almost twenty years. But 
Yeah, we go back. It's oh, but now it's like uh, at a different level because I've never had these discussions with yeah. him. <laughs> well, I still have done so many things that you guys have no idea maybe because I never, <laughs> I never promoted it or never talked yeah. about well, it because you'll come I think back. the we'll work, have... the work by itself will show. Yeah. That's where I wanted to go with it. Maybe we can talk about things we haven't mentioned today on the next time you. Join the wise scotch. scotch? Oh, yeah. There you <laughs> go. I mean, our scotch show. Is like, <laughs> this much or this, this much? much? Scotch? This much. <laughs> scotch? <laughs> one, one, one ice cube only. <laughs> we, we have even the circular ice yeah. cubes. We'll and see if you have any hitchhiking stories like Vahe Berberian had. The oh, guy I, know his, I know his story. Maybe Vahe and, and you can come together. Yeah. Oh, if you, if Vahe and I come uh, here, it, we really need to drink that day. All right, we'll, sure. we'll set What's something going up. Happen? We'll set something up. I'll give you one last thing before I go, which is at work. The movie that I did, Vahe, me and uh, three weeks, three weeks, in, three weeks in, yeah. in Yerevan, <clears throat> we're working on a play. Heron, me and Vahe, late 2020, you'll see wow. on stage. Beautiful. When yeah. is, where is it going to be? Everywhere. Oh, no, where you guys going to Meaning LA first, and then we'll go other places to travel. Wow, beautiful. Can't wait yeah. to see it. That's because we really wanted to keep that relationship for the audience to know that we just didn't come together and did one movie and left because we're still friends we work together we help each other we support each other uh, we talk through a lot of ideas why is writing it around this coming we'll talk about it then next year develop it it takes time let's set up the three legends on the wise nuts Haran <laughs> Tohadian on the wise nuts I mean he can't speak English well it's okay we'll speak in Armenian as well with him <laughs> Or we, haven't, we have not done one Armenian show. We haven't. We haven't. No. But we'll figure it out. Because we're the wise now. But he is Haran Tohadian, so yeah. we'll make an We'll exception. have the three legends on there. Vaik, Harant, and Vaik. <laughs> no, because... No, le- don't call me legends. They, they might be, no. but not me. But <laughs> Are you kidding I, me? I, Look what you've created. Come on. Are I, you kidding? I, I, I tell you what. Because... Uh, Haran speaks Russian and Vahe and I, we don't speak Russian. We'll have Haran speaks in Russian and then we'll translate it in English. <laughs> is, is JJ, did, did you create, who's JJ say he created my name JJ? Oh, JJ. Photo. Photograph. Did you create it? You created yeah, it. You're kidding JJ. me. No I way. Call, he's no such shit. a great guy. No, he, I, I called him from the beginning, Jirai, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. I said, you look like JJ. You should be JJ. They should call you JJ. And then Stuck. after that, yeah, he's like, "Why well, I named my business JJ, and thank you for that because so because you, of you, you I technically have JJ. contributed to his success. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I really appreciate him. What uh, what an honest guy and good guy yes. that he still remembers and tells me. That's great. That I did. Yeah. He's a good man. That's great. But man. JJ was our first guest, by the way. Yep. Really? Back in uh, February. Is he still looking for his light, bro? Ask him. Your light is still here. Anyways, we'll see, we'll see you guys next Monday. Thanks so much for tuning into the Wise Nuts. Thank you, guys. <laughs> we'll have another special guest for you guys next Monday. Vaik, thank you so much for taking time out of your Monday to be with us. Thank you for having me. And we're definitely going to have you back. 2020. My pleasure. We'll have Vaik or Rafael. We'll see if, we'll if, see Uncle, if Uncle Rafael's in town. Then yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see. We'll talk to him. We'll see what's up. We'll shoot him a text message. <laughs> Definitely. All right, guys. Have a great week. Take care. We'll Good see you guys week, next everyone. Monday.